Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Freeman, joined by my co-host, Alan Sterk. Today, we are answering your listener questions. We haven't done this since Super Bowl 51, for obvious reasons. So we'll be answering those questions and getting that stuff out of the way today. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Alan, as I said in the intro, we haven't answered listener questions, I think, since like the Tuesday after the Super Bowl. I think it was like February 8th or something like that. So whatever that day was. So we got some backlog questions, I guess, that we might have to get through. But uh, let's get started. Doing it for the people. First question comes from Charlie Rogers at Charlie Rogers 68. Could you see Brian Poole playing some free safety in 2017? I think we have a very good cornerback trio between Trufon, Alford, and Collins might be the best trio in the NFL. Yeah, and for for those of you guys, this is one of those backlog questions. Charlie asked this question like the week the week or two after the Super Bowl. So I think we got the answer to this question. Uh, yes, uh, Quinn has said that. Uh, we've been talking about Brian Poole making the move to safety uh, for quite some time, really, I think since the Philadelphia game where we started talking about it a little bit more um, on this podcast. People sort of often forget that Brian Poole did, was the third string free safety uh, this past summer in training camp. He got some at least two games worth of uh, some fourth quarter action at free safety. You don't remember it because no one really threw against the Falcons in any of the preseason games. But uh, he has experience playing that spot, so I think we'll see a little bit more of that being in the mix this summer. Yeah, and Quinn mentioned it, I think, during the Combine weekend. So... I know Quinn, not everything he says is true, such as the Vic Beasley strong side linebacker project, but I think as long as the cornerbacks stay healthy, they're going to find the way to insert Poole onto the field. Yeah, I think if, if Poole's getting serious reps at cornerback this year, I think it's more of an indicator that Collins didn't do enough this offseason or on the field to step up. But I think assuming that Collins is, is not going to regress – um, I, I I would be shocked to see Poole get more than sort of emergency reps at cornerback this year. By the way, nobody's touching Talib, Harris, and Roby as the best cornerback trio in the league. Yeah, I mean, Collins would have to make a pretty big step up in order for us to start getting into that conversation. But And Alford. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Alford and True certainly are in the top five cornerback duo, so I don't think it's crazy. I don't think they're on the same level as Tlaib and Harris, just because I think you could say True is on the level of Tlaib and Harris, but Alford's not quite there. But, uh, yeah, I th- we would have to see Collins make a pretty big jump, I think, to really make that a conversation. This next question is from quite a long time ago, but we are going to mention it because who doesn't love hearing about the Super Bowl? This question is from Chris Tremble at C trim forty nine. I wonder if he's related to Mellow Triple following a disastrous performance against Xavier in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But NCAA double A hit takes. 
Yeah. Oh man, Maryland. What a joke. Anyway, how did Keon look doing the Super Bowl? Didn't hear his name often, and there was no memorable SmackDown hits. I like the phrasing. I thought Keanu Neal, I think we talked about this on one of those shows after, but I understand yeah. if he skipped the, the that week of shows. But um, I thought Neal did a pretty decent job. I think he got beat a couple of times, which was understandable. When you play 99 snaps, you're probably going to get beat a couple of times. But I, I thought of the guys in the secondary, you could probably argue him, Alford, and Allen probably played the best out of all of our secondary players. Yeah, there was one play I remember Brady just couldn't have thrown a better ball to Martellus Bennett. Yeah. It was kind of, it wasn't a back shoulder, but it was just, there was no way Keanu was going to make a play of the ball. It was just perfectly thrown. And yeah, Keanu could work on his man coverage, but I thought he was fine in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was not memorable, but I think part of the reason could be because they weren't running the ball a lot, being that they were down 25 points. Of course, who could forget 25 points? But between that and targeting Deion Jones with that matchup with James White, that could have been a reason why Keanu didn't really have any standout moments. Yeah, and I think one of the things of playing man coverage means that you're not able, you know, you're not going to get many opportunities to sort of peel off and deliver those big hits that you would if you were playing zone and, and sort of his role in the zone defense, which is to sort of chill across the middle and sort of smack anybody that comes over the middle. And while the Patriots did attack the middle of the field because we were playing so much man, he wasn't. He didn't really have those opportunities. Next question comes from A Step at Mave twenty one twenty four. Question for a show following episodes with AP and Charles released. Who are the top three paid running backs in the league? Uh, Aaron, do you have this information? Otherwise, I do have it right now. I do not have it in front of me. Okay, so right now number one is Le'Veon Bell. You just Signed the franchise, right? Yeah. Then we got LaShawn McCoy, well-deserved. Questionable college you went to. What are you going to do? And then three is Jonathan Stewart. Yeah, he's still living off of that massive contract that he got like from Marty Herney like five years ago, right? Yeah. And Doug Martin's not too far behind. Yeah. he's south. <laughs> and I, I'm wondering if A-Step is asking like – Ranking the three best running backs that are on their second contracts, I guess, as opposed to oh, who are the actually complicated. I, I mean, Le'Veon's up there. I mean, I guess that eliminates David Johnson from the conversation. Uh, you know, when Marshawn Lynch comes back in a, in a couple of uh, days or weeks, then maybe he'll, he'll get thrown back in that mix. I don't know, but yeah. Uh, I, other than Le'Veon Bell, I, I couldn't really give you maybe McCoy. I guess yeah, McCoy probably is in the top three. I guess. Too. I'm I'm scrolling down. I'm trying to find Devontae Freeman because I know there's a lot of discussion about his contract, and I can't find him. Yeah, that's what happens when you're a fourth round pick on your rookie contract. You are making pennies. I think his. I think he's going to make about a million and a half this year, just because he got he hit an incentive. He's according to Spotrack, he's 68. This has to be wrong. Nah, that sounds about right. Andre Williams is making more of them. Yeah, because wasn't Andre Williams like a second-round pick? Oh, I'm insulted. Oh, man, please pay a bit. Like, oh, my God. You have guys like Tyler Irv. David Johnson's at 58. He's not even a man. Oh, my God. Tevin Coleman's making more. Jeez. See what happens with the drafts. 
Matt Jones, he, he that first round pick, Baltimore Mansion. Yeah. There you go. Oh man. But yeah, and then you have like with Tavius Murray's ten, Chris Ivory's at number six. Good old Chris Ivory. That's my boy, man. He's the guy. <laughs> Jacksonville, where careers go to die. I miss I miss watching Chris Ivory on a relevant team or a team that was in the New York tri-state area. There you go. That, that's one of your eight shots at the Jets. Anyway, next question. This comes from A-Step again. What would a contract for Devontae Freeman look like? I was taking 40 mil for five years. Really a three-year deal with a $7 million bonus. Uh, Alan, since you have the contract information in front of you, I guess that that would put him in the top three, right? Up there with the Jonathan Stewart's of the world? Yeah, he would be slightly above Stewart Ray Ron McCoy. I think that's a fair contract for him. Yeah, especially considering eventually he's going to fall down once Ezekiel Elliott, David Johnson get their contracts. I'm trying to think of any other young running backs to come to mind that eventually get paid. Maybe Gurley, who knows at L.A., but he might be top two, top three for a year or two. Eventually, he's going to go down. I don't see any issue with uh, paying Freeman. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I know the structure of Doug Martin's contract is unique because it's basically all the guaranteed money in his contract came in year one. And so essentially the Bucks, if they wanted to, could have cut him, I think could cut him right now and just sort of they will eat some dead money, but I don't think it's a lot of dead money. And so, like, in an ideal world, you can get Devontae Freeman to sign that contract. Not not because I want to cut Devontae Freeman after year one, but it's one of those things where, like, you don't have to be saddled with a 30-year-old, 31-year-old running back um, and feel obligated to pay him a, a bunch of money. Uh, because, you know, generally speaking, besides the Tiki Barbers of the world, most guys, and the work done, I guess, maybe, uh, most guys tend to decline once they hit, like, 28, 29. Eddie Lacy's making four point two five next year. I'm pretty offended. I don't know if he's going to hit any of those uh, weight bonuses. Fifty five k. He's making more than Mark Ingram. Unbelievable. That's not a surprise because he's better. But uh, next question, Alan. What's up? At least Mark Ingram could play at a healthy weight. <laughs> Eddie Lacy has never been at a healthy weight, so he's clearly doesn't need to play at it that that to be effective. That's such a weird fit in Seattle. I know Lacey's one of those running backs that I think could make a a bad offensive line look slightly better. Like he could elevate a running game, but you can't rely on him for 16 games. Well, good thing they had Thomas Rawls and, and my boy CJ Procise. Yeah, I do like that running game minus Lacey. Uh, next question comes from Flash at Flash underscore 1985. Are all seventh round picks throwaways? Coming from someone that I assume has watched the Falcons and follows what the franchise does, what a strange question. Well, I, I look, I, you know, I actually have a, a very long-winded answer, so I'll try to be brief about this. But I do think there is a tendency for people to be dismissive of seventh-round picks, and I do think yes, it is true that the hit rate of seventh-round picks is really, really low. And I think, you know, it's hard to, to win with those picks. But I do think there are certain commonalities that teams have when they sort of throw away picks. And I think you, you, we saw this in the 2015 draft with the Falcons when they had two seventh-round picks with Jake Rogers and Akeem King. And I think what ends up happening is too often in these late rounds, teams are looking for a body. 
And we saw that with Jake Rogers, where the team's only depth at offensive tackle at the time of that draft was Lamar Holmes. They, technically, Sam Baker's on the team, but they knew they were going to cut him. And they already knew that Lamar Holmes was not really a good fit in, in Shanahan's blocking scheme. So they really wanted a, another option at that swing tackle. So they drafted Jake Rogers to be a body. But then immediately after the draft, they went out and signed Tyler Columbus. They worked out Joe Barksdale. And that sort of immediately negated um, any value that Jake Rogers really added to the team because they could immediately go out and get a veteran that was going to be better than him. And so they just kind of, quote unquote, waste the pick on a body. Then you, on the flip side, you had Akeem King, who the Falcons didn't really have great cornerback depth. Um, besides, um, you know, they had just drafted Collins in the second round. But besides Alfred and Trufant, the only backup cornerback on the roster at that time was Desmond Southward, who was a major project. And you could certainly say that Akeem King making the conversion from a safety to a cornerback was at the same level um, going into that uh, training camp as Desmond Southwood was, even though he had a third round pedigree. So I think there was a clear pathway for Akeem King to stick on the roster. And now you sort of fast forward two years later. Now, Akeem King is still on the fringes of making the team, but I think those are like, you have to have a plan even for seventh round picks. And when you do, there's a higher chance that you actually hit on a guy like a Vance Walker or Kamal Ishmael as opposed to, oh, we just need a, a body here. And then that guy winds up getting cut and trained again. Or Jason Snelling. Yes. We, we can go down the, the, the rabbit hole of uh, the once every five years the Falcons hit on a seventh-round pick like uh, uh, Jamal Anderson. Um, I think Travis Hall was a sixth-round pick, but – um, yeah, there's, there's a couple of guys that stand out throughout Falcons history. Next question comes from Chris Rings at Chris Rings. Kansas City has been known for overplaying Don Terry Poe and using him on all three downs. What percentage of snaps do you think we will slash should have him out there? Um, 30 to 40%? That sounds right to me. Whoa. That's... Uh for a one-year, $8 million contract? I don't know. I want to see it more. I know it's going to be weird to see how he fits that nickel, but I think they could rotate a bit. Quinn shouldn't be so strict with his rotations. I'd like to see Poe at least 50-60. Well, I mean, Jared only played 60% of the snaps in nine games last year um, out of 19. So I don't think, you know, maybe he can get to 50 I would be shocked if we see too many 60% um, games. Like, I, I, you know, That's if he plays fair, but 30 to 40. If he, if he plays 50, I, I don't have a problem with that. But, like, I think there's going to be a lot of weeks where he, he's not going to be a major component of the team, of the rotation, well, I guess. I still think he, he could play a role in the nickel defense if they just want to rotate around. Like, you always have to put – I like to see Claiborne out there as much as possible. Like maybe put Shelby sometimes, give him a rest or play him in the base. Who knows? But like I was watching Poe uh, against the Falcons. We'll just get some tape footage from last year, and he looks very comfortable playing the guy. And the fact that he's supposed to drop 10, 15 pounds, hopefully play around 330, 335, I think that bodes well for him at least get a couple of reps in the nickel package. Poe is a, is a, a competent pass rusher. I just hope that we're not reliant on Don Terry Poe to generate our interior pressure. That's a bad sign for the Falcons. I hope it'll be on uh, Jared Clayboard, and we'll see what Shelby. Uh, next question comes from Andy at Falcons underscore Andy. 
Do you think the Falcons are still interested in drafting a defensive tackle? I think so. I, I don't understand why they wouldn't be. I don't think it's going to be a high priority, but if a good player is still there, you know, in the third, fourth round, fifth round range, I think the Falcons would certainly be open to it. Couldn't agree more considering that Poe, Claiborne, and Upshaw are going to be free agents following year, and who knows what their future is like. And I would assume that Quinn, kind of like it tells at 15, because if you remember in his the first season Quinn was head coach, they were pretty, not stacked, I think that's kind of overblowing, but they had a lot of defensive tackles on roster because they went on that free agent frenzy, so Quinn had to pick up the pieces. So, But they still picked Jarrett because they saw him as a difference maker, or at least a potential difference maker, and it's worked out pretty well, so I don't think Quinn's going to hesitate if he sees a defensive tackle that he's intrigued by, so... Yeah, I definitely think they should. What round? I think it depends on player, but maybe between third and fifth round. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you did you mention Upshaw and Hageman? Aren't they also free agents next year? I mentioned Upshaw, didn't mention Hageman. Good call. Yeah. I forgot about Hageman. It's a lot of bodies. Yeah, I mean, like, in the, because we have so many guys there, like, it makes sense if the Falcons pass on a D tackle because they don't necessarily need one. But if a good player is available, then why not grab him and then say, yeah, we'll stash him, we'll wretched him for a year, and then we'll see he can sort of be in the mix next year. Besides, edge rusher and guard, I would say D-Tech on tight end would probably be the next two positions, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah, I mean, some people would throw backup free safety because they're not big buyers into Brian Poolstock, but... Ugh, please... Come on, we got Ricardo Allen and Brian Poole. Let's see what happens. Not my opinion, just stating other people's. Uh, next question comes from Corey Woodruff at Corey Woodruff 47. What will be Rashid Hagman's role in 2017 as the defensive line continues to revamp? Uh, I don't know. Uh, we, we've seen Rashid Hagman play three roles in his defense, uh, initially as a base defensive tackle at a three technique. Last year he began last year as a base defensive end at five technique and then finished the year as a nickel defensive tackle at the quote-unquote one technique, but it's not really a technique issue when it comes to nickel. Um, uh, obviously, he you know, we go in reverse order in terms of the quality of play that we got at each of those spots, so you would assume um, – the team would ideally want to use him as a nickel defensive tackle, but I do think there are other guys potentially that would get opportunities over him in that role uh, without him sort of showing significant improvement there. And those would be guys that we've mentioned already, like Poe, Claiborne, and Jarrett. So I think he would at best be the fourth option there, which doesn't mean a huge role. So I do think they're, you know, contrary to what Allen has said over the last several months, I do think there's an opportunity for him to get some serious reps as the base defensive end, because I, I do think he offers a little bit more as a sort of point of attack run stuffer than Jack Crawford does um, in terms of what his skill set is. I know Crawford makes a lot more money and probably will give him, be given the opportunity, but I, I think Hageman will find a role. What that exactly is, I don't really know, but I think if their problem, if the Falcons problem is Hageman is like the seventh best defensive lineman on the team, that's a good problem to have. Can't wait after two preseason games when Jack Crawford struggles, you start the bench Jack Crawford family. <laughs> well, the good thing about Jack Crawford is he's not getting paid nearly as much as Derek Shelby was last year, and there isn't as big a you know, last year there was a lot of questions about the defensive line and basically the team was like, 
oh, we're just a Derek Shelby away until they sign Franey. And so it put a lot of, um, you know, a lot of expectations on on Croft, on Shelby for me that I will not put on Crawford this year. Never thought I'd hear those words. We're a Derek Shelby away. You know, that's that's what they thought, but it's fine. Oh, but, yeah, I think Hageman, I think he's proven to be a versatile player, so they'll try to fit him in whatever. I'm still skeptical of the whole five-technique defensive end role, but – they might try to insert him there. Who knows? He, I do see him as a better run defender than Crawford. While watching tape, I thought Crawford really struggled against the run. So it depends. I, th- I think with preseason, we're going to see. I know it's, it's kind of weird because Hageman's going to his fourth year. Why should preseason matter for a fourth-year player? But good preseason when I heard him, right? Oh, yeah. Look, Hageman is by far, even though he played well down the stretch, he was he wasn't doing it because he was a finished product. He was doing it because he figured out, oh, my raw strength and power is going to overwhelm a lot of these guards and centers, and I'll just use that. But, like, if you actually look at his hand placement and his footwork, it's still bad. It's just, like, he still is far from a finished product. And I, I think, you know, seeing how much refinement he has um, this summer will, will sort of tell you a lot about where he is potentially a, as a – you know, is he going to be a reliable difference maker or is he going to be what we've seen so far in his career, which is he'll have four really good games and then sort of be a non-factor for the other 12? If he shows drastic improvement, I'm not looking forward to the Brian Cox. Under. <laughs> yeah, well, you're going to get that regardless. So even even if, um, you know, I don't know, if the Falcons draft Brian Cox Jr., they're going to, you're going to get Brian Cox Sr. slander somehow. Is Brian Cox Jr. available? Yeah, he's a he's a potential late round pick in this year's draft. Okay, I thought you were just making a bad joke. No. Uh, next question comes from former guest Charles McDonald at Four Verts. My wife left me for a Don Terry pub. How do I get her back? Eat a lot of cheeseburgers. She loves Unless she loves her men big. So let's just hope your wife doesn't cook well, because if that's the case, Don Terry posed in a kicker to curb in three months. There you go. And Terry Poe, he wants his high-priced meals, top, top quality. And the Tyson Jackson diet. Oh, man, come on. That guy invested. What will he spend a month? Like $2,700? <laughs> well, Poe can afford it. He's got $8 million. And Poe needs to actually lose not a significant amount of weight, but like, he's playing a crucial role in this defense. It's not like with Tyson Jackson. Like, okay. The franchise is counting on Don Terry Poe here, especially Quinn Tyson Jackson. Can we really say they count on Tyson Jackson? They, they clearly were when they cut your boy Paul Soli and kept Tyson Jackson. You know, but I think when Tyson <laughs> Jackson went on that diet, it was in 2015, not 2016. I can't remember. So I was no, I was because I remember they wanted to move Jackson back to the defensive end, and then 2016. Quinn said, oh, we're going to play Jacks at D-Tackle, which lasted about four games. Yes, yes, you're right. So, next question comes from Aaron Williams at Aaron C. Will. Can you guys describe the DQ Leo position more in depth? I assume we will draft someone to play it. Um, yeah, you know, the Leo position is uh, basically you play on the weak side defensive end spot. Uh, typically in Seattle, they were sort of, as Seattle used it, they tended to like smaller, lighter guys that sort of fit the Bill Morris, your 3-4 outside linebacker. Like they had Chris Clemens, who was like 6'3", 250. 
Um, the Falcons, I don't necessarily know if that's really where they want to go with that position because they tried Vic Beasley in that role and it didn't quite work out as ideally because that's why they moved him to basically being a nickel pass rusher uh, just because he was getting worn down against the run, similar to what Bruce Irvin was as a rookie, and then they moved him to strong side linebacker. Um, Basically, the job of a Leo is to, you know, obviously as a pass rusher to get upfield as a pass rusher off the edge. And against the run, you basically maintain the C gap, which is the outside gap outside the tackle. And so any sort of um, runs to the outside, you sort of set the edge. Um, So you sort of need a a little bit more of a physical player there than probably people think. Uh, Beasley is capable of doing that, but I think repetitively over the course of a season, it tends to wear him down a little bit more than you would ideally like uh, for that to happen. So. Uh, did I miss anything, Alan? No, well said. Uh, he mentioned somebody, uh, like a potential draft pick that could play that role. Like, I don't know if he's going to fall, but I've seen some Charles Harris clips. you think he could play it? Yeah, I mean, he's a little smaller guy too. So I think he, initially he'd be better served playing as a nickel um, end, uh, basically taking Freeney's role as opposed to taking Brooks Reed's role. Um, yeah, I, I do think this is going to be the primary target for the Falcons, just because I, I do think the Falcons are leaning towards the, the long-term decision of making uh, Beasley more of a linebacker than a than an end. Um, so I do think this is going to be a high priority to get him a, a running mate long-term. Whether that guy's going to immediately step in and sort of replace Brooks Reed in that role is a question mark. I'm trying to think who could play it. Um I can't see Claiborne. He's just—he's not that athletic, and he just—he's so wide, and he's not really disciplined. Well, I think the thing about Claiborne is, like, I would normally agree with you, but when he's had the opportunities to play Leo, all few, all twelve of them, he's done a pretty decent job against the run. But because he's he never- did very well against San Diego, but that was kind of San Diego. Like, I remember he had two big run stops, but once again, it's San Diego. Yeah, no, I like I. I I would normally agree with you, but when the, the proof is in the pudding and when he's had opportunities to play against the run on the edge, he's done a pretty decent job, arguably a much better job, albeit with limited uh, sample size than Brooks Reed did has done over the last year. So I, I feel like I would love to give him the opportunity to prove whether or not he can play it because then you, you have a better pass rusher there. But um you know, I you know, off the top of my head, I can't sort of sit here and say you know one guy versus the other because I haven't really evaluated all the edges yet. But a guy that's getting a lot of buzz right now, and I'll just throw his name out is Derek Rivers. I think he can do it. So, well, maybe after seeing the success that Hageman and Jared had in the playoffs, could Hageman possibly play in the nickel package? And then maybe Claiborne you put at the Leo position, the base that could possibly happen. But I think Claiborne's got an active role regardless. Yeah, well, I mean, we can sit here and speculate how the Falcons going to use their defensive line, but we know it's not going to come together until December. Um, that's just the way it works. So it's like we can we can sit here and people can ask all these questions like, yeah, it could go this way, it could go this way. And then the last two years have taught us what, what the Falcons open the season as with their primary rotation is not going to be what they end the season as. So I don't think this year is going to be any different. Oh, we could promise Don Terry Pose will play one tech, Beasley will play left defensive end. And Gray Jarrett will get a lot of snaps. That's all we're confirming. Yeah, and I think there's a better than average chance that they start to move Beasley around a little bit more this year than they, they did in past years. They started to do it a little bit more towards the end of the season. 
I'm not holding my breath. Next question comes from B Robin at B Robin. What technique will Poe play in the nickel? He says three four, but I assume he means four three. So yeah, I'm assuming he's talking about base. Yeah, one tech. Um, he'll play that sort of off kilter. If you've ever watched Brandon Mebane play in Seattle, where he sort of like lines up over the center's um, shoulder in the A gap and sort of is like slanted. And it's, it looks weird at first, but like that's what I think we'll see Pope do a lot of this year. I saw a clip today. Sam Monson posted was uh, Leo Collins steamrolling Brandon Mebane like 10 yards. Downfield, and then he just throws them to the ground. I was like, "Oh my god!" There's a Go couple of clips where Mebane just dominating um, Travis Frederick back in, the, um, I guess that was 2014. Um, so you know, you, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, that's a good point. Like I was watching uh, Poe and Mac were going at it quite a bit in that December game, and I think Mac got the better of him on a lot of occasions. Uh, next question comes from our buddy Smorgasborg at Smorgasborg. How does uh, he says Mr. Freeman? I'm saying Aaron because whoever calls you Mr. Freeman is just <laughs> head scratches, at least. Has Aaron liked the prospect of Beaks mode playing for his favorite team? What a I, terrible question. I love it. I'm all about Marshawn Lynch. I don't care if he's done or not. He's Marshawn Lynch. He, he deserves our respect and our adoration. And he's going to be playing for my favorite team, the Oakland Raiders. So, so next question. Next question comes from our buddy Schmorgasborg again. Any fullback options we should be aware of? Is for the second time someone asked about Colin Mooney? Like people, Colin Mooney hasn't played for a football team since that preseason. Like I don't get why they bring him up. <laughs> people love that. Uh, what was it? The sixty-yard uh, catch he had. And that um, okay. that scoop and score on the the botch snap or the botch handoff or whatever it was in the preseason, he was running like downfield like he had like fruit in his pants like he had a <laughs> bunch of pears and apples like the way he was running just waving his arms like I couldn't believe it it was like he was smuggling plums out of a fruit store like it was unbelievable. Very colorful analogy there, Alan. Um. Uh... Fullback options: You got Will Johnson, you got Jerome Felton. If if the team is comfortable with his uh, suspensions, you got Nikita Whitlock. Uh, you got Marcel Reese. But well, they said they only want athletes, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look, Felton is an eye formation sort of straight ahead fullback, so he's not really great. Uh, Whitlock is athletic, but he hasn't really done much in the leagues the last year or two because he's been like suspended and hurt. Um, uh, my expectation is the Falcons will draft a guy, to, much to my chagrin, or they'll sign uh, an undrafted free agent and a mid-level sort of street guy, a Lusaka polite, if you will, type, and uh, see what they they could do with that. Just based on their lack of amb- not ambition, but like initiative to get a fullback, it does seem like Sarkeesian doesn't really value him. We'll see. We'll see how that works out for him. Uh, ASAP has one more question. It's about Nick Williams. Is Nick Williams an unsigned UFA or RFA? Why wasn't he given a tender? Seems to be conflicting information out there. Nick Williams is under contract. What the Falcons usually do, he's not a free agent at all. 
Um, what the Falcons usually do in midseason is a certain point in the in the season. If you are not a vested veteran like a Charles Godfrey or Deshaun Goldson, they're going to sign you to a two-year deal. And they did that with Nick Williams when they promoted him from the practice squad. Um, and so he is under contract for 2017. So when they promoted him from the practice squad, he got a two-year deal. So 2016, 2017. So he's not a free agent. So any information you see out there that says he's a free agent is wrong. I think it's the first question ever that didn't involve Nick Williams making the roster or not. There you go. That's going to be a third straight Nick Williams going to be battling for a roster spot. Can he get on the practice squad? I assume not, right? Uh, I would have to double check, but I would imagine his eligibility is up. But the practice squad is always a little quirky. There's always a couple of loopholes in there. No, man. he's He's been a regular. There you go. Scrappy. Last two questions comes from Vince Snap at HSV HAL. Dan Quinn says Don Terry Poe can be a dominant player. If he is, do you think they will sign him to a long-term deal? Yeah, I think that's certainly possible. At this point in time, you know, I'm a, I'm taking a wait-and-see mode in terms of what Poe brings to the table because I think I, I don't know if I said this on another show or this show, but if he's going to be asking for $10 million a year, I don't necessarily know if the Falcons are going to be that open to paying that next offseason unless he plays at a, you know, he's a huge, huge dominant player. But again, you know, I'm, a, I'm not trying to prejudge him or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, to me, it's a coin flip at this point. Though. Yeah, look what's going on with Jonathan Hankins. Boy, did he misjudge his market. Yeah. Thinking he wanted $10 million. <laughs> Nobody's really calling for him. And you have to wonder how much the Falcons... Like, I know they value D-tackles, but based on Quinn's rotation, like, I'm not sure if they really want to spend $10 million or you're on a player that's only going to play a certain amount of snaps. It's not like they're going to use him like an Aaron Donald or Geno Atkins. Yeah. I mean, we'll or, have to see. It, it really just... Or, like, or even Gerald McCoy. Yeah. It really depends on how good Poe is, how good the other D tackles on the roster are, and what free agents are available next year. There, there might be a player that can give you, you know, seventy-five percent of Poe for forty percent the price, and, and that's a better, smarter move, long-term guy to give a, a contract to for four million a year as opposed to ten million a year or something like that. So we'll see. Vince's other question is, do you think Poe can play at a Pro Bowl level in 2017? And if so, can the Falcons defense be a top 10 unit? Oh, the, um, do I think Pro can play at a Pro Bowl level? Yeah, he's a two-time Pro Bowler, so if he gets three or four sacks, then yeah, he'll, he'll certainly be in the conversation. Um, can the and, Fal- and two or three touchdowns. There you go. Um <laughs> Just thought about him being a fullback. Um can the Falcons be a top 10 defense, like, in points allowed? Sure. I mean, when you score as many points as the Falcons did last year, you should be a top 10 scoring defense, not necessarily a top 10 total defense. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's possible. If we're going just based on overall, not just yards, but if you want to look at sacks, or just actual ability, uh, unless they get, like, a true impact out of your rusher, I think it's more likely top 15 rather than top 10, which I can't remember the last time the Falcons were a top 15 defense. Like I was tweeting this out. Like 
maybe 2006 was the last time I had great optimism about the defense. Or maybe 2011 when they signed Gray Edwards. But, yeah, that didn't work out too well. But I just something about this defense on paper, it's very refreshing. Like, I think it's the first year we get genuinely excited about it. I agree. I mean, if they can play like they did in the playoffs for, you know, most of this season, like 12 games plus, then, yeah, I think, you know, that that certainly is a team that should be in the mix for a top 10 defense. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly if, if that is a top 10 defense. And, again, because we've gone so long without seeing a good defense in Atlanta, we don't necessarily have a, a good litmus test for what a, a top 10 defense actually looks like. But um, I would guess that's what a top 10 defense looks like. So, yeah. I'm excited to see how they look against the divisional opponents. New Orleans, they're well-known. Prolific unit. Tampa Bay, you assume is going to be much improved. And I don't think Carolina could be much worse. But then again, Matt Khalil is the left tackle. So, anything's possible. But I, I think those division games are really going to test them. Because you look at some of the other opponents, particularly in the AFC East, Eh, I don't think they're going to provide the biggest test minus New England. We'll see. I mean, look, I, I think the expectation, is it should be the reasonable, realistic expectation that the Falcons aren't going to be able to score 30 points 12 times this year. Um, so the question, the, the real question about how good this defense, if the Falcons offense only scores like 20 points in a game, can the Falcons win that game? Is it going to be a situation where if the Falcons can't get have to score 27 points as opposed to 31 like it was last year, but if they have to score 24, 27 points to win a game, that's not a top 10 defense. Now, if we can sort of win some 2017 games and it isn't against, you know, the Jets or something like that, um, <laughs> you know, actually against a real NFL team, um, then, yeah, I, I think the we Bears. Can... Do we play the Bears? Yeah, we do play the Bears this year. I, I would I would consider the Bears a real NFL team, even though they're probably going to be bad this year. Okay, I don't know if I could consider John Fox NFL coach at this point. I I, I think I, you know I kind of like the Bears, but if they're you know because they got guys like McPhee and they got a couple of pieces on their defense that I think Are you just saying because he has one of your cousins and um, and uh, their offensive line is legit and Jordan Howard is legit, so. They got some pieces that are NFL caliber. I don't know if they put it all together, but um, you know, I would consider them to be a real NFL team. They're not going to be like Jets bad. True. Oh man, Julio is going to torch them. It's going to be a fun game. I hope that's the Week Two matchup. But wait, why? Why specifically? I just, I just want to, just, I just want to, you know, coming off of that Week One game, whatever the results are, I just want to. Oh, I want that one. Yeah. It's understandable, but yeah, I just you look at the Falcons' defense. It's just it's just weird to be so optimistic about it, given that what's going on in the youth movement and all the quality drafts. So yeah, I think they're capable of a tough team. We'll see. I just think to be a top ten unit, you really need to have a good pass rush or ball hawking corners. And as good as true fun is, I'm not going to get Sermo true ball hawk. So between not forcing enough turnovers and not having this amazing pass rush, although there is hope that it could be really good this year. We'll see. But I think top 15 is a 
good goal to have. Oh, I think that's probably the more realistic goal. But I, I do think top ten is is possible because I, I do think Beasley. It's it's likely, if not inevitable, that Beasley's going to be a much better player this year than he was last year. Even if he doesn't, it doesn't show just by looking at his sack production. And hopefully, the Falcons, with the addition of Poe, have solidified their weak run defense. We saw the defense create more turnovers uh, down the stretch. Um, running around hitting guys. I don't think the Falcons will be, hopefully won't be as sort of, I guess, handicapped by their young guys not being able to play zone defense effectively uh, this year, um, which will allow them to be a little bit more versatile and not sort of just rely on their man coverage all the time and and, and still allow guys to fly around and make plays. So I, I think you can certainly make an argument for how the defense could be a top 10 Unit, we'll just have to find out if it actually happens. You hope Trufant Claiborne stay healthy as well. Yeah, durability is going to matter. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see where Beasley, Neal, and Jared are this year in terms of their development because I'm, I'm really optimistic about what they have the capability of being with defensive linemen. That third year is often a big year. Uh, Neal is is. You know, I'm I'm really excited about where Neil's potential is. I'm I'm curious to see where Deion Jones um, is this upcoming season. If if the addition of Poe is going to allow him to be the most effective version of himself, and um, you know, obviously Collins and Campbell and, and, and Allen and, and some of these other young guys, I'm I'm excited to see what they're capable of being. But uh, mainly Jarrett Beasley and, and Neil, I think, could be real top shelf. Um, elite players, potentially, if everything comes together for them. Look at that praise. You don't hear that every day. Yeah, you'll hear it one time. I will never say it again. So if you miss this episode, sorry for the rest of you. And where can people find you on Twitter? I am at FileFans. Alan, where can people hit you up? You can find me at Alan underscore Stirk. That's A-L-L-E-N underscore S-T-R-K. Tomorrow we'll be back. We'll talk more about Poe. I was a little surprised we didn't get a lot of questions about it. I thought there'd be a little bit more. So we'll dedicate more time to Poe and just talk about free agency as a whole with the Falcons and their resignings and whether we deem as a success. I know Dave Cho put out a column for all of us to contribute on the Falcon to and just give our thoughts about free agency. He really wanted to ask, like, should we view this as a successful time period? And I thought it was and I'm interested to hear your take tomorrow. So we'll get into that. And we'll also be talking about the future of the show. So be on the lookout for that. Changes are coming. So we'll talk about that, guys. But in the meantime, if you, uh, if you want to hear some Poe takes, um, you can go back and listen to our March 11th show. We, we talked quite a bit about Poe in that episode. He, he, we obviously hadn't signed him, but we did talk about where he fits. So I know, I know we talked a lot about Eric Berry, but when Sully came on, did we talk about Paul? I said briefly, maybe. Briefly. I'll have to go back and listen. But yeah, you guys also go back and listen and tell me. I don't know. I I, I know we talked a lot about Barry because that was the hot name across the land. Everyone, Eric Barry. Yeah, I imagine Poe was at least mentioned. I don't know if we had a real conversation about him, though. Oh, it's Sully. Of course Poe was mentioned. Yeah. So... so. Shout out to him, by the way. Uh, fortunately, life matters. He, I was trying to get him on the podcast, but uh, hectic time period for him with work. So yeah, it would have been a love fest anyway. I don't know if we would have got like 
big time analysis. And shout out to Matt Caroli and Eric Robinson. Villanova and Duke lost, so you guys is uh, you know you guys can focus now on the draft now that your favorite college basketball teams are no longer competing in the NCAA I give tournament. It, I give a shout out to neither of them because both programs are disgusting and terrible. Coming coming from a St. John's fan, <laughs> I, I view both programs. Be oh, those, but... I was trying to be a little bit more subtle in my trolling, but uh, you just came out and said it, so there you go. In all seriousness, I had Nova going to Final Four, so I was pretty bummed out about man, Wisconsin. What a they're so battle tested. Every year they just they're always contending, man. Well done to them, man. Hey, with Duke, when you can't play defense, you don't win championships and uh so long, Grayson Allen. Don't have to see your face for I think he's a junior, so damn it, we got one more year of him, man. I, I just I need Grayson Allen to go to Turkey and just I don't want to see him ever again. Okay, there you go. There's your basketball takes, guys. Um, yeah, so really good tournament so far. Been, I know some people want to see more upsets, but look, you got to take what you could get. I think right now we need a big buzzer beer. That's one thing this tournament's missing. But, man, South Carolina, unbelievable last night. I did not get the chance to uh, finish the game, so I, I only woke up this morning to find that Duke had lost. But, uh I, I did do. Oh, it was a party last. So that that was that made my morning a little bit better. But uh, I live in Durham, by the way. I'm not a Duke hater, but I just I do enjoy them losing at times. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll try to lay off the battle talk. But uh, yeah, it's been. A, I'm all on the tournament, so it was good. I was actually 18 to know my bracket at one point, but. Damn Seton Hall game. I can't believe that flaker foul. The guy shoved the guy called a flaker foul with 30 seconds left. But, man, that's that's officiating these days. Just it, it, All sports, it's just so questionable. Like I don't know what these guys are doing, but it's it's a losing battle we're fighting. We just have to tolerate these officials. That's a fair way of putting it, Alan. So, unless it's Richard Sherman holding on to Julio Jones' arm quite clearly. Mm. Then you could be outraged. Mm. There you, there you go, guys. <laughs> Never living that one down. Hey, that's Richard Sherman in Atlanta for you. Well, you know he's he is a future Falcon because we are trading for him. I know, you, I know oh. you've been you've been engrossed in the NCAA tournament, but there was a day on Falcons Twitter, Alan, where that was the, a very popular. All right, question. hold on, hold on. No, it wasn't. Come on, there was oh. no attraction. No one was talking about Sherman. It wasn't like Michael Bennett or Bruce Everton. <laughs> Oh, you're so deluded. Yeah, it was a big thing. It was a big deal for a day. No, it wasn't. How would they trade for Sherman? People can't be that ridiculous. <laughs> oh, man. Talk to your boy, Corey Woodruff. He'll tell you. He implied with, about it? Just talk to him. Give him a couple of DMs, and he'll, he'll tell you all about it. All right, that sounds super weird, but Corey's my boy, so I will... Talk to him. I'm not gonna use a DM phrasing though. I don't. I don't know how. However, you 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 and your boy Corey Woodruff communicate communicate that way. There you go. DMing is it's a phrase when it comes to women, man. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, so, you know, not not everybody in the world loves women, so I I, I don't want to be the one to judge. All right. This podcast has to end. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> See you then. <laughs> Oh man, I 
love a nigga show in the most awkward way possible. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.